going on everyone welcome to the podcast called getting to know god this is the place where we look to the scriptures and only the scriptures to know the one true living god of the bible letting him speak for himself in his word through the psalms i'm brandon also known as pastor b-side and today we're looking at the attributes of god as the lord describes them in psalm 3. the title for our study today is called victory in the face of defeat but real quick, before we get started, I just wanted to remind you that if you've been digging on these studies or anything I do or my team does as a ministry, please hit the like button, the share button, and make sure you're subscribed to this podcast. I know it sounds silly, and I know I keep saying it every episode, right? Three in. <laughs> but it really helps make sure that this teaching can be more easily found for the folks who need it. The more action and activity that social media sees for this, you know, we got to appease all that AI, the more likely it is to recommend it to others. And at the end of it all, it really helps us bring glory to the Lord by dropping this knowledge into the ears of more people. Amen? So that's enough of that. Let's check these verses. In Psalm 3, the Bible says this, a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. Lord, how they have increased who trouble me. Many are they who rise up against me. Many are they who say of me, there is no help for him in God, Selah. But you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory and the one who lifts up my head. I cried to the Lord with my voice and he heard me from his holy hill, Selah. I lay down and slept. I awoke, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you have struck all my enemies on the cheekbone. You have broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing is upon your people. Selah. All right, so here's the deal. Life is tough for all people, but for those who are called as the children of God, we're expected to trust in the Lord at all times, especially when life is hard. And that can be kind of tricky. The challenge with trusting in the Lord is that, you know, we as people don't often get to see the work that the Lord is actually doing to address our issues, right? Doesn't mean he's not working. We just don't always see it. And whether we're going to be delivered from a particular trial or not, or somehow equipped to endure the trial for longer, the Lord's work is way too much to understand, so that even if we can see it, we still don't fully get it, right? It's way too complicated, so that even if we could clearly, like really clearly, see the hand of the Lord working in our lives, we wouldn't necessarily understand the results that he's working to produce. So since God is in supreme control of all things at all times, he's often addressing the situations of our lives in ways that are distant to our perspective. We can't see who he's using to bring us help, right? We can't see how he's moving things around to pave our way. We can't understand the wisdom of God to know how our pain and suffering can actually result in the fulfillment of his promises. You know, people tell us that everything happens for a reason. The Bible actually tells us what those reasons are, but all this to say is we don't always fully get it, right? Even still, we're called to walk by faith and not by sight. Our trust in God 
shouldn't depend on the things that we can see him doing since we often can't see much of what he's doing with any understanding anyway. Instead, the Bible commands God's people to remember his eternally unconditional promises, remember the integrity of his character and nature, and then remember the past works that God has done, either in our lives or especially in scriptures, in order to prove his ability and willingness to continue to enable us as his people in his purposes. When we're able to remember him this way, the encouragement of the Lord becomes freely available to us in spite of the difficulties. Notice I said in spite of the difficulties. <laughs> Trusting this way doesn't mean the difficulties are going away. This truth is made pretty clear in Psalm 3. So this psalm documents the attitude that King David had when his son, Absalom, was rebelling against him, trying to take over David's throne and trying to do his dad dirty. Like, we're not talking about some kid that's rebelling by not putting his video game system away or talking back through his phone and stuff like that. No, this is some real hardcore stuff. So the Bible shows that David didn't really do a good job disciplining Absalom early in Absalom's life so that he grew up being a selfish and a violent person. David later paid the consequences for that. The testimony of 2 Samuel chapters 15 through 17 explain that Absalom raised up like a literal rebellion with people with like swords and spears against his own dad, David. And so David, not wanting to fight against his own son like he was some common enemy, basically gave up the throne of Israel over to his son and just left Jerusalem. David went across the Jordan River to hide in the wilderness, but again, the, the difficulties didn't stop there just because he tried to run from them. The testimony of 2 Samuel explains that Absalom looked for advice from a pretty shady guy in order to pursue David while he was in the wilderness in order to kill him, ultimately ensuring that the children of Israel remained under his control. So Absalom loved the idea of taking his dad completely out of the way so that he could rule in Israel his own way without any other threats. So you're talking about a spoiled brat of the greatest kind. So he raised up an army from the children of Israel, numbering in tens of thousands, and he went after his dad to kill him. This was the context that David wrote Psalm 3 in. So when David began writing Psalm 3, he reflected on how things got way out of hand. He wrote, Lord, how they have increased who troubled me. Many are they who rise up against me. Many are they who say of me, there is no help for him in God, Selah. So David prayed to God, expressing that the people who opposed him and his rule in Israel had increased and were continuing to increase as time went on. David was severely outnumbered, and the praises that he once received as the king of Israel, you know, getting all these conquests and all these things, expanding the borders, those had long died out. David felt alone and very overwhelmed. The circumstances didn't seem to be in his favor anymore and only seemed to get worse as time went on. And so David was reflecting on the gossips that he was hearing. People speak about him. People in Israel were supporting the evil of Absalom instead of David. Why? Well, the circumstances and the gossips that David suffered from led the people to believe that God had departed from David, which obviously wasn't true, but that's what the people thought. Absalom's uprising made it seem like David was being punished by God, and that David would no longer receive God's favor. At least that's what the people thought. 
David knew that he was being betrayed by his country because his country felt like God wasn't going to help him anymore. And so the people didn't want to get behind a guy that seemed like wasn't going to have God's support. So it's a really ugly situation. This didn't totally discourage David because he knew these rumors and claims weren't true. And so it's important to remember the conversation that God had with David several chapters before Absalom's mutiny. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, God called out to David to make what is now known as the Davidic covenant, you know, the covenant with David. This is a covenant that God initiated with David, swearing upon himself to establish David's throne for all of eternity. Now, the details of God's covenant with David spoke of God's own promise to establish a temple through David's son, Solomon, but also spoke of the Messiah king of Israel being a descendant of David in order to establish the Father's righteousness in the world from Jerusalem as his headquarters. So David and Solomon were really key parts of God's purposes. Even though the circumstances were unfavorable for David from a worldly perspective, and they were pretty bad, David couldn't ignore God's promise that was previously made in the manner in which it was made and the magnitude of that promise itself because of the faithful wisdom and power of God to do what he said. And this is why, immediately after reflecting on the difficulty of his circumstances, here's what David said going back to Psalm 3. He says, But you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory and the one who lifts up my head. So the odds were heavily stacked against David, but David trusted in the Lord as his personal shield. What does that mean exactly? Well, first, David referred to God as Yahweh in this statement of faith. He referred to God in the manner of God's promise name to acknowledge his identity as creator, sustainer, and as the almighty, eternally self-existing, self-sustaining Lord of Lords, right? It's because of who God is that he's able and willing to be David's shield. It's really important to understand that basis. David's mention of God as a shield is a really important reference if we remember how it's connected to God's title as Yahweh. God is first called a shield in Genesis chapter 15, verse 1. There, the Lord God appeared to Abraham in a vision and introduced himself as Abraham's shield in the context of the faithful wisdom and power that he would exercise to make Abraham a great nation, provide a great land inheritance, and provide the blessing to all the families of the world through Abraham's bloodline, referring to the Messiah, the same Messiah that God talked about would sit in David's throne for all of eternity. So God's identity as the shield doesn't just refer to his strength to protect his people, but also the faithfulness and reliability of God to stand in front of his people, before his people, in order that his promises are fulfilled through them as he declares those promises. David knew that the things looked really bad for him, but he trusted in God to be the Lord that he's always been since the beginning. And who is that? The one who is faithful to enable his people into the fulfillment of his promises, no matter how circumstances appear, because he's faithful to do what he says as it is written. When God revealed himself to Abraham as a shield in Genesis chapter 15, Abraham was way too old to have a kid, let alone become a great nation like God had promised, having many descendants. <laughs> Abraham left his father's house and inheritance in Babylon, 
to go to a land that God would show him. So wasn't in a good position to receive a great land inheritance when you think about that situation. Abraham was in unfamiliar territory in every respect, hardly in a position to be a blessing to anyone, let alone produce a blessing to all the families of the world. Yet there was David, a descendant from Judah, one of the 12 tribes of Israel that possessed a great land that David was used to conquer and the covenant God made with David was more solid of a guarantee about the blessing that God first promised to Abraham. So what does that mean? That even though all the things that Abraham saw working against the promises of God, there was David standing as proof that God does what he says in spite of those circumstances. David was in a tough spot at that point in his life, but that spot was actually proof that God does what he says, no matter how things seem. So for this reason, David didn't trust in his experience and his ability, wisdom, or resourceful connections to escape the difficulties that he was facing. He trusted that God would do the work that needed to be done in order that David could be elevated just as God had promised. David didn't seek glory over people, you know, like people traditionally do today, but instead he sought the fulfillment of God's promises that are glorious. David recognized that the personal glory he gained in the past through victories and battles and conquests, you know, like when he fought Goliath and things like that, was the work that God was doing to fulfill his eternally unconditional covenants to Israel. David had glory to a certain extent because he was being used as a tool in the hand of the almighty God of glory to glorify himself through the fulfillment of his word, ultimately leading to the revelation of the Messiah that was promised to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then later David. David trusted in God's integrity to do this work as promised until it was completed. So David found hope and encouragement with his head lifted up purely because of his position in the plans that God revealed in his word. That's the key, right? We got to understand that work. We got to understand those plans. We got to understand who the Lord is. David wrote that he cried out to God. Even though he was encouraged, he still desired to be connected to God in communion and fellowship with him because stuff was still hard, right? David's plea was passionate when he wrote, I cried to the Lord with my voice and he heard me from his holy hill, Selah. The temptation to let his circumstances overwhelm him likely plagued David's mind, like it would any of the rest of us, right? But David cried out to God with intense desperation and dependency, trusting God to respond in some way at some point in time. Even though Psalm 3 was written before David could receive the benefits of God's response to his prayer, Psalm 3 shows that David trusted God to respond to his cry anyway. David didn't cry out to friends and family that might be able to help him. David didn't cry out to neighboring nations that might be able to protect him. David didn't cry out to mercenaries that he could hire to get rid of his issues for him. David cried out to the one true living God who hears the pleas and humble petitions of his children because that's what the word says he does. According to David, even though God sits up way high on his holy hill, which is in heaven, he was confident that God heard and not just because he has big ears. And he was confident even before he could see the results of God's response. Now that's faith. Now, how do we know that David was so confident in God? Psalm 3 explains that when David cried out to God, he was able to lay down and sleep in peace. That's a big deal. David described the peace of God 
in this way in verses 5 and 6. He wrote, I lay down and slept. (laughs) I awoke, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. So it's a small detail, but it's a big deal. David's life was being sought by his own son and a literal army of his own people and relatives, apparently numbering in the tens of thousands, in order to kill him. Still, he was able to have the peace of mind to lay down and sleep without issue. I mean, there's many of us, right? Tons of people out there today losing sleep over far less. I mean, you might even be one of them, right? I know I've been there from time to time. In Psalm 127, verse 2, the Bible actually assures God's people, as part of the benefit of being a child of God, sleep and rest is a big deal. It's a benefit. It's what we get as a result of trusting Him. We don't have to lose sleep, being consumed with the issues of this life, if we trust in the Lord, who is transcendent over the factors of this life, and has control over all things at all times from heaven. And that's always true whether we see God working or not. Did David see God working? No, he didn't. But he knew the testimony of who God was, and that's what gave him this peace. God promises and provides rest, which is what? Spiritual rest, emotional rest, mental rest, and of course, physical rest is kind of helpful too, right? And this is true regardless of the circumstances. And we know that it's true by the testimony of David in Psalm 3, who dealt with issues that are far worse than most of us can even imagine. Many people, many people, thousands were seeking his life, his own son leading the charge. But David trusted the Lord so that he received the benefits that the Lord provides. And what was that? Rest. It might seem like a small matter, but I know there's a lot of us out there today that would just love a great night's sleep. Well, David had that. He had a good night's sleep, waking up later refreshed and ready to tackle the next day's challenges with hope right? Knowing that the Lord was continuing to sustain him day by day. So for this reason, David vowed that he would not be afraid, no matter how many people were coming after him, no matter who those people were, and no matter how bad things appeared to be from his perspective. David called out to God, seeking God's brand of salvation, not some cheap mantra promoting self-empowerment. You know, you don't see David here in Psalm 3 saying, I got this, right? In fact, you don't see that anywhere in Scripture. David finished Psalm 3 by reminding himself that God had delivered him many times before. God has it, right? In verses 7 and 8, it says, Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you have struck all my enemies on the cheekbone. You have broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing is upon your people, Selah. So he remembered that God had previously struck his enemies on the cheekbone broken their teeth, (laughs) and provided victory in a ton of glorious ways, right? David was a man after God's own heart, and remembered that God fights against those who oppose his ways, his purposes, and the people that he uses to accomplish those things. You can't mess with God's people, right? You can't mess with God's children and think you could get away with it. David beat Goliath, right? David endured the relentless pursuits of King Saul for a long time, David fought against the Philistines, the Edomites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, and more, and won every single time. The odds stacked against him hadn't kept him from moving forward in God's purposes. Even David's own sin wasn't enough 
to keep him separated from God's purposes. David committed adultery with Bathsheba and orchestrated her husband's death. And even though their child was lost, he was killed, right? David's kingship and the progress of it wasn't affected. David rebelled against God and took a census and thousands of people died in a plague as a result of God's judgment. But Israel was not utterly destroyed. The nation still stood. It still stands today. David was still king. Nothing was going to keep the Lord from doing what he set out to do. As a child, as an heir, as a tool of the Almighty God, David remembered that God is still able and faithful to do all of the good things that he had done before simply because God said he would. David knew that God's blessings come to God's people in spite of the people. But who are God's people? It's the people who trust in the supreme goodness of the Lord's eternally unconditional promises documented in the Holy Scriptures, right? We're talking about those who also submit themselves to be used by God to fulfill those things that are documented in Scripture, no matter the cost. And again, God does that in spite of the people that he uses. David was far from perfect, but he was the kind of man that had faith. Psalm 3 also ended up being prophetic in some respects. David spoke of God's deliverance before it actually came, and he relied on the transcendent wisdom and control of God to bring it. And that's exactly what God did. The testimony of 2 Samuel shows that God provided an abundance of help to David in ways that David himself didn't actually even pursue. The scriptures show that David didn't even understand the help that he was getting when it was coming. In some cases, David was being helped by people during that time in his life, and, and he didn't even know that he was receiving that help because it was taking place uh, in a location outside of his awareness and field of sight. God provided a congregate, like a whole congregation of support for David while he hid in the wilderness to make sure he was fed and protected and all those things. Even though David at first thought he would be a burden to other people trying to, you know, keep them away, like, no, you guys can't be involved with my problems or my problems, I'll take... He, he kind of had that attitude at the beginning. You know, he tried to go at it alone to keep people separated from his issues, and, you know, it was good intentions, but the Lord brought plenty of people anyway, and it turned out to be a great encouragement to him and very useful for God's plans of deliverance. So like in times past, when David was in trouble, people wanted to be around him anyway. It's kind of weird, right? Usually when you see someone else in trouble, someone else is sick, someone else is broke, like we want to get away because we don't want to like catch their problems by osmosis, right? That's not how it worked for David. David wanted people actually to stay away from him so they wouldn't get hurt by his issues. And there was like legitimate threats of life going on. But the people rallied around David anyway. David figured they, they would just complicate the situation, adding a greater strain on resources and needs. But God provided provision for all of those people anyway through friends, sometimes through strangers that just showed up at the right times with the right resources that strengthened and encouraged David and the people who surrounded him. God provided spies in the camp of Absalom that were able to help David prepare for the attacks that were coming against him. God even took care of the victory himself. One of the chief men that provoked Absalom to rebel against David committed suicide before the battle even began. Obviously, that man wasn't very helpful to the fulfillment of the plans that he helped Absalom come up with. So they were crippled in that sense, and God was the cause. The testimony of 2 Samuel also says that when David's men actually fought Absalom's men, that most of Absalom's men were killed by the conditions of the wilderness on the battlegrounds, not by the sword. 
None of this was coincidental, accidental, or random. So the Bible is clear. During the battle, God used the facets of his creation to provide David deliverance, more than he used the swords of David's men. Even though Absalom was ultimately killed and David grieved terribly because of it, God had done all of the work that he swore upon himself to do in order to sustain David's life because of the things he set out to do and declared he would fulfill with David's life. God made promises that required David to keep living. God was going to keep David alive in the right condition to finish that work. It didn't matter how impossible things looked. The Lord is faithful and able no matter what. If he said it, it's going to get done. The key is understanding where we fit in that work that God is doing. For David, it was very clear. For the rest of us, it might not be as clearly laid out, but our connection to the Lord as instruments of his righteousness is just as sure like David. Psalm 3 provides historical proof that God is worthy of our trust and our commitment to him because of who he is and the things that he has done. The things that God has done in the past to fulfill his word absolutely prove that he will continue to do everything that needs to be done until the fulfillment of all things, which means we better read the full counsel of scripture to know what all things pertains to, right? We know where he started in the beginning when he created the heavens and the earth, but where is he going, right? How does it end? Do we understand the contents of Revelation chapters 19 through 22? And where do we fit within that? David knew where God was going, and that's what gave him this trust. God will bring blessings to his people in the manner that he said he would, no matter how terrible or crazy things seem to be. The Bible thoroughly proves that God's reach and wisdom is far greater than ours. He's able to control all people and all circumstances in ways well beyond our understanding in order to deliver us in times of need to make sure that our purpose in him is fulfilled. All of that, all of who God is and what he does guarantees that we're able to fulfill the purpose that he's appointed for each of us as individuals and collectively unto his glory. So that is what the Bible teaches about the one we know as God. But before I get out of here, I just wanted to give you a quick reminder to please take a second, make sure you're subscribed, make sure you share the link to this podcast on your social media, and make sure you're letting people know about what we got going on here. We need all the people we can to know the truth about God and the hope that he wants to give, like we're studying to the depth we see in Psalm 3 today. Don't keep the people you know from hearing the truth and hope they may need. There may be people who, in situations like David, but don't have the hope of David, and things like this may be a great help to them. So be a friend, pass it on. And also, keep in mind that all of the Bible teaching that I do here is 100% listener-supported. This means that I depend on listeners like you to pay the bills for the tools that make this stuff available to you as well as pay for all of the time that it takes to study the word and prepare to this degree. If this podcast is like a legitimate blessing for you and it's helpful to you, if you value this sort of teaching and dig on the presentation of it and all those things, please prayerfully consider sending a donation this way. This ministry is a legit nonprofit. We have a legal 501c3 operating through our parent ministry called Proper Knowledge Ministries. So feel free to look us up and check us out. 
And if you'd like to partner with the work of the gospel that I'm doing here and that we have a team kind of behind us, you can visit www.pastorbside.com. B-side, like the flip side of a record. Hit the support tab and give any amount that you're able as the Lord leads you. Every bit helps. And if the Lord would lead you, maybe even consider partnering with us monthly, making your gift recurring, kind of like tied into a church, because church is founded on the true teaching of the Bible, and that's exactly what we're doing here. Ministries like this need support, just like any other church that's got brick and mortar pews and pulpits. With all the false teaching being shared out there, look, let's partner together and make a strong effort to get more good teaching out there as best we can. So with that said, I want to thank you all for listening again. Hope you enjoyed the study. Hope you enjoyed the encouragement. And until next time, peace out.